Uh, so we are in this series. We started it last Sunday, Serpents and Doves. For those of you who weren't here, um, man, we are leaning into kind of the culture of our day, right? Jesus, this comes from Matthew 10. Jesus says, man, I, behold, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, so be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, right? We, we want to look at this idea, how do we, how do we as the church, as Christians individually and as the church collectively, how do we live in the culture of our day? How, how do we wade into this? We see what's happening around us. There's, there's, it, there's, it seems like you, you turn on the news and it's just disaster everywhere. How do we live in this? How, how, do, we, how, how, do, we, how do we flourish in this? Um, l- last Sunday, I read a quote uh, by Rebecca McLaughlin uh, at our 11 o'clock gathering. And at our 9.15 gathering, I totally forgot to read it. Um, so, hey, if, in fairness, right, I don't know if, for those of you who were here last Sunday at 9.15, when I got up here, there was like this crazy like echo thing going on in the room. And I was like already stressed out because it's like a heavy series and I had to say some hard things. And I just totally spaced. Um, and so I want to read it. I'm going to read it for you this morning. If you were at the 11 o'clock last week, you get to hear it twice. It's fine. Um, he, here's, but I think this quote like sets up kind of the idea of what we're talking about and what we're leaning into uh, for this whole series. Um, and, and it goes like this. She, she wrote a book called The Secular Creed. Um, and she, in the very beginning of the book, she tells a story about going driving to church. And she says this. She says, on our drive to church, we pass a hair salon. Its windows filled with posters of George Floyd and massive multicolored wings proclaiming trans lives matter, black lives matter, love is love, better together. Across our neighborhood, yard signs declare, in this house we believe that black lives matter, women's rights are human rights. We are all immigrants. Diversity makes us stronger. Signs like this sketch out a secular creed or statement of belief. It centers not on God, but on diversity, equality, and everyone's right to be themselves. Seeing signs like this, Christians tend to grab hammers. Some grab one to drive their sign into their their lawn, like the same type of sign into their lawn. They lament racial injustice. They believe in diversity. They know women are equal to men, and they've been taught that affirming gay relationships, trans identities, and pro-choice positions comes part and parcel with these other things. If black lives matter, which they surely do, then love of all kinds must be love. Others take up hammers with a different plan. Knowing that the Bible rejects some things that are underlined in this modern creed, they swing a hammer to flatten the sign. Perhaps not literally, but in their hearts and minds, if these ideas stand together, they must all be wrong, right? This is the day we're living in, and I know you've driven around, and I know that you've seen these signs, and I know that even right now, as I, as I even read some of those words, like, we are squirming a little bit. We're like, oh, can we talk about this in church? Listen to me. I said this last week. I'm going to probably say it every week. You're not going to hear any political statement from me up here on, on this platform. That's not the goal of this series is to try to get you to vote one way or vote another way. No, 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 no. You're never going to hear that from me. My, 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 my heart in this is how do we as the church, as, as the kingdom of saints in Christ, how do we wade into the culture of our day? How do we live in this world? 
right? Not of the world, but how do we live in the world? Well, what Rebecca McLaughlin is saying is that what we tend to do is like kind of one or two things, and I actually think there's three. I'll talk about it in a second, right? But she, she kind of points out these two kind of categories. Oh, over here you have Christians who are, who are kind of passive, right, and who, who want everybody to love them and want everybody to get along, and so they just kind of accept all of it. They say, no, 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 it's all fine. Like, they put the same sign in their yard. They, say, they hang the same flag in their yard. And they're like, I don't disagree with anybody, right? You do you, I do me. Well, just, we can all just get along. It's fine, right? And in this, in this camp, right, there is no wisdom. There are no serpents here, right? There's, there's no wisdom. And the gentleness isn't really gentleness. It's just fear. It's, I'm just afraid of anybody ever not liking me. So it's not real gentleness. It's not real wisdom. But then over here, you have this camp that's just angry. They, they see this and they say, it's all wrong. It has to be all wrong. we got to tear it down. And so there's, they, they war against this. They rant against this. They march against this. And they scream. And there's anger and frustration over here. And I actually think that there's a third category in, in kind of in the middle of this. And I actually think it applies to many of us in Utah. Uh, it's this category where we just kind of bury our head in the sand and we're like, la, 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 la. Right? I don't want to think about it. I don't want to talk about it. Just turn off the news. Don't tell me. I, I, listen, I, I, you, I don't care. I just don't care. Right? In, in Utah, we're actually afforded this luxury. Right? Because I, I know that we, in Davis County is not the p- perfect place. I know there's still crime. I know that there's still injustice. I know there's still thing, other things that pa- happen that are bad things. But for the most part, it's like Mayberry. Okay? It's like leave it to Beaverville. All right? That's where we live. And so if you want to, you can live in this middle category and just be oblivious to what's happening in the world around you. We have that luxury here. Over the next few weeks, here's what I want to do. I want to speak to each one of these three categories. And I think in some way, shape, or form, we all kind of, we all dip our toe into each one of them. Some of us more over here, some of us more over here, and some of us more in the middle, right? This is where we live. The question is, how do, should we actually live? How, sh- how do we actually grow in wisdom and innocence in this cultural moment? That's what I want to wade into. And so this morning what I want to do is we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna camp out over here uh, in, in the category of anger, right? I, I want to talk to those, and some of you would self-identify a- as this category. Um, a- as I read Rebecca McLaughlin's quote, and I said some things that were on those signs, Anger boiled in, inside of you, right? If I mention, you know, Donald Trump, some of you are like, Rah! So if I mention Joe Biden, some of you are like, Rah! Like, like, you're just like naturally angry over this, okay? And, and I want to speak to this kind of category this morning. Um, and we know, listen to me, hey, the world just seems to be getting angrier. Anybody pick up on that? Like anybody's like, I feel like the world's more angry now than when I was like, you know, a few years ago, maybe a decade ago. It just seems like, Everybody's a little bit more angry. Um, and this is actually true. We're actually realizing this. There was a study out of Yale um, that, that recently talking about how social media actually is producing anger in us. What they found is, uh, and this is not just one platform. It's not just Facebook. It's not just Instagram. It's all, all of it. right? Anger gets more clicks, more likes. Okay? Anger gets more likes. 
right? So that if you post a rant about something, people are like, yes, like, 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 like. But if you post like something kind and something that's gentle and something that's peaceful, people are like, oh, that's, that's cute, oh, whatever, right? But if you post a rant about something that happened, right? Somebody cut me off in traffic, yeah, like, like that garbage. Like we, we, we love it, like we love it and it gets more likes. And so therefore the algorithm moves it to the top and more people see it. Another study finds that social media actually affects our emotions, which makes sense, right, if you think about it. If you run into a friend in real life, not on social media, in real life, you run into a friend, um, and they're having a sad day, something happened, maybe they lost a loved one, they lost their job, right, you become sad. We take on their emotion. If they're having a great day, and this, it landed the dream job, they, they just got engaged, like, you become excited and you become happy for them. In the same way, when we, when we sit and we look at social media, which, which naturally we're seeing more and more anger happen because the algorithm is realizing that people like anger more than they like nice stuff, right? We're sitting in that and we're actually, we're actually feeling and experiencing that same emotion. We are becoming a more angry people. And in our anger, if we are not careful, we quickly lose our wisdom and our innocence. And this is not just the world out there is getting more angry. It's all of us. And so maybe you're more in this camp over here where you're like, no, I love everybody. Or maybe you're in this camp here where it's like just bury my head in the sand. I don't think any of us actually fully escape this. Some of us are totally full on here. Like I'm just an angry human being. That's just who I am. And I know this is affecting me. And I hear certain, certain phrases, certain words, certain creeds, and I get angry. I think all of us in some way, shape, or form live over here. None of us are unscathed or untouched by this. Our text this morning that I want us to look at, as I said uh, last week, we're going to look at a proverb and we're going to look at the teachings of Jesus and kind of put them together through this whole series. So the proverb for this morning is from Proverbs 16, 32. And Solomon says this, he says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Right? Whoever is slow to anger, right? It's not that we never become angry. That is not possible. Has anybody in this room never been angry ever? Okay. Right. Yeah, no, no, don't lie to me, right? We've all, we're, we are all get angry. We all get angry. Solomon says, Solomon doesn't say whoever's never angry. He says whoever's slow to anger actually has control of his spirit, has control of his emotions, has control of his anger, can slow himself or herself down. When that anger begins to boil up, is greater than the mighty and the one who takes a city, the great warrior, the one who can conquer a whole, whole city, we want to be slow to anger. It's not that all anger is bad. There are times when anger is appropriate response to someone's behavior, to the brokenness of the world, to injustice. It's okay. It's okay to experience and feel anger. I'm not, I'm not trying to uh, uh, kind of have you oppress all your anger, suppress all your anger, right? That's, that's not the goal. The goal is to control and to slow our anger. Now, what happens is my Christian brothers and sisters in this camp over here who are just outraged at the world around us often use justice as a blanket to cover their anger, right? 
they are enraged. We are enraged over this issue or that issue or this thing or that thing. And, and, and so we're, we're acting out and we're doing all these things and we're posting rants and we're liking rants on social media and we're marching in this thing. And it's just constantly just boiling, right? But we know that the thing that we're angry at is sin. And so therefore, Josh, it's actually righteous anger. Careful. Don't cover your sin in a blanket of justice and live blind to the sin that's actually destroying you. I I see so many Christians doing this all the time, using the excuse of righteous anger to cover up their own sinful anger. And the anger I'm talking about this morning is anger that lashes out, anger that puts people down, anger that says hurtful things. Anger that hides behind a keyboard or the wheel of a car. This, no matter how sinful the thing might be that you are angry at, your actions are actually creating sin in your own life. In our anger, we want to tear down the mighty. We want to tear down the self-righteous. We want to tear down those who have offended us and taken our city. And yet, Solomon tells us, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit, than he who takes a city. And so the question I want to ask this morning is, how do we become slow to anger? How do we become slow to anger? I believe that we need to understand what drives our anger so that we can actually see it coming. That we can kind of zoom out 30,000 feet and kind of see, oh, now I see what makes me angry. We can grow in wisdom and we can grow in gentleness as we understand what makes us angry. Most, if not all of our anger, comes from, right, um, unmet expectations, assumptions, and beliefs, okay? Unmet expectations, assumptions, and beliefs. I believe and I expect and I assume that things should go this way, right? I, I just think they should, right? People should drive their car this way. And over here is how they actually do it. And it makes me angry, right? I believe that my children should sit down at the table and eat with a fork and a knife and a spoon and, and be quiet or have a good conversation. And here's how it really goes down. Like it makes me angry, right? We, there's, it's unmet expectations, assumptions, or beliefs, right? I believe that people should vote this way, but here's how they actually vote. I believe that people should think this way about the world, but here's how they actually think about the world. Like this is what we're, all of our anger whether it's small or big, is created by our unmet expectations, assumptions, or beliefs. This is where it all comes from. And the greater that belief, the greater your conviction, the greater your assumption, the greater your expectation, the greater your anger. Right? I, 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 the, the mistreating of a child makes me far more angry than if the person at Taco Bell messes up my order. And you all know I love Taco Bell. Okay? You know that. It makes me angry. I didn't order this. Right? But I'm far more upset at the, mis- at the mistreating of a child. Why? Because that child's far more important than my Taco Bell. It's far more important than my Taco Bell. And so this is why, two weeks ago, when the Supreme Court overturns Roe versus Wade, there is fury on both sides. Because this is such a deeply held conviction on both sides. 
we know, we believe with all that we are, right, that, that, that life happens at conception and life is important. It's, it's sacred to God. And yet at the same time, I mean, nobody should be able to tell me what to do with my body, right? These are, these are insanely deep convictions that's going to bring about great anger. And again, I'm not making a political statement. What I'm saying, what I'm saying is we, we have to understand the source of our anger. Anger, in some ways, is a, is a gift. It reveals to us, it shows us, it opens our eyes to that which we care about most. The level to which we care about things. If you get really, really angry when the waiter messes up, messes up your order, you're caring way too much about the wrong things. Your anger reveals what you love, and it reveals the degree to which you love that thing. You've assumed something. This thing is sacred to you. Whether it should be or shouldn't be, your anger is revealing that to you. What I want to do for the rest of our time is I want to look at two assumptions that we have made that I think are wrong assumptions, right? If anger Right? It is, is us, our assumptions, our expectations, and our beliefs not being met, okay? As a church, the church, what are the assumptions that are driving our anger right now? Okay? And I want to do it in, in context of the text in Matthew 10, right? The first is this we have failed to see and to understand who we are, that we are the sheep. Nobody wants to believe that. Nobody wants to assume that we are the sheep. We want to be the wolf. Whether you will acknowledge that this morning or not, you want to be the wolf. You want to be treated right. And you want to be revered. And you want to be respected. And you want to be, right, you want to be the wolf. Our society glorifies the wolf, right? In the West... We glorify the wolf, right? We all want to be type A. What's A stand for? Alpha. Thank you. Somebody. Oh, right? The alpha wolf. That's who I want to be. I want to be type A. That's who I want to be. We, we glorify this. We, we want to be the wolf. But here's the reality. If you are the sheep, and listen to me, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've given your life to him, you've submitted to his rule and reign, you are the sheep. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're an elite SEAL Team 6 operator that could kill me with your pinky. If you've taken up the cross of Christ, spiritually, you are now the sheep. You're not the wolf anymore. You once were, but now you're the sheep. And what happens when a sheep gets into a pen with a wolf and thinks he or she's a wolf? Now, I'll admit this to you. I spent way too much time this week. I, I went down the rabbit hole. I can tend to procrastinate a little bit. Um, and I just happened to YouTube, wolf and sheep. And oh, man, there's so many awesome videos of wolves just eating, like just killing sheep left and right. Right, Jump in the pen, and that sheep is done. Right? This eh, 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 eh. Like just, they just grab it by the neck and just squeeze the life out of it. It's amazing, right? And listen, I, this has nothing to do with the sermon, right? But what happens when you assume, when you think, when you think that you are the wolf? Your neck's getting gnawed on. You're like, why are you doing this? 
Why is this happening? And we're angry and we're enraged. How dare you do this to me? How could you do this? How could you choose that? How could you say this? How could you go? What do you think? What do you think is going to happen? We've forgotten who we are in Christ. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That's who we are. We are the sheep. And the world appears to hold the power, right? In that proverb, right? Who holds the power? Who, who has the illusion? Or who appears to hold the power, right? The mighty. The one who takes the city. That's who looks like they have the power. They have the power. The mighty. But, the, but, 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 but uh, Solomon says, no, 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 no. Don't be deceived. It's actually the sheep. If the sheep can control its anger, it has the real power. The world will always appear to have the power. Jesus does not say, I'm sending you out as wolves among sheep, but rather sheep among wolves. The goal of the Christian life is not to become a wolf, but rather to be a good and faithful sheep. The wolf is marked by anger and death, and the sheep, gentleness and innocence and wisdom. You see, God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom where the power structure is inverted. And we see this again and again and again and again in the teachings of Jesus. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, right before the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going around and he's teaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. And we see what he's teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And he begins with the Beatitudes. He opened his mouth, this is Matthew 5 too. He says, he opened his mouth and taught them saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Any wolves poor in spirit? No. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit. Any wolves meek? The wolves don't inherit the earth. The sheep do. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Wolves hunger and thirst for blood. The sheep who hunger and thirst for righteous, they, righteousness, they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. There's no merciful wolf. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, and utter all kinds of evil against you on my, falsely on my account. Therefore, be angry. Be frustrated. Scream and yell and rant on social No, 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 no. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We are sheep. And we're going to see in a little bit, we're going to talk more about this, but the sheep ultimately win if you can actually become a good sheep manage and control be slow to anger grow in your wisdom and your innocence the sheep win but if you allow anger to reign within you if you allow anger to control you the wolf is going to gnaw your neck that's the reality of it that that is the world in which we Live. Throughout the scriptures, the power structure of God's kingdom is different than the world. 
And the early church understood this and delighted in their suffering. They knew that the call of Christ was not a call to fight in anger, but a call to die in love. This is who we are. The second thing that we miss, the second, the second piece, right? We forget that we are sheep, but the second assumption or belief or conviction that we've, that we've got jacked up is this. We've forgotten who the world is. We've misunderstood. We've assumed that the world is, is just like us. My neighbors are cool, man. They're, they're nice people. They're, they're not wolves. We have failed the last 70 years in the West, the last 70 years in, in America, have been, I think, have kind of lulled us asleep in so many ways. We've forgotten for the past few years that, we have, that we've lived in the most peaceful season, in the most peaceful place in all of human history. And, and I know some of you have been, have served in the military or served with police, and you've seen horrible things, but it's nothing compared to some of the things of our past. It's nothing. We have lived in the most peaceful season, in the most peaceful place in the planet, in human history. In human history. It has lulled us asleep, and we've begun to believe that we're all equal, that everybody's the same, that there's no real difference, that, that everybody's kind of good people. We are being awakened, I think, right now to the reality of what the world is. The fastest growing church in the entire world um, is in Iran. Iran has the, is, is the fastest growing group of Christians anywhere in the world is in Iran. And this sermon in Iran would fall flat. It would make no sense. It would be a waste of time. They'd be looking at me like, yeah, I know who the wolf is. And I know it's not me. Right? There's, the, the, I, they know who they are. But in the West, we've forgotten who we are. And we've forgotten who are who the world is around us. Our strong government built on Christian ideals, even with all of its flaws and failures, has afforded us so much comfort that we have forgotten that it's run by wolves, filled with wolves. And yet we expect them to treat us with dignity and respect because, well, this is America and that's how it is. But it's not. Sin produces outrage and fear and anger. And the world in which we spend these days is filled with it. Sin dominates the world. There are 600, estimated 660 million Protestant Christians in the world. 660 million. Some of you are like, that's a big number. That's a lot of people. In a world of 7.7 billion, there are 660 Protestant Christians. That means that there's 7.1 billion wolves in the world and 660 million sheep. I think we need to awaken to this. I think we need to stop expecting the world to treat us fairly. And I actually think that our anger will be reduced if we do. 7.1 billion people in the world living without the spirit of Christ within them, uncovered by grace, unempowered, being ruled by the prince of the power of the air. We have come to expect too much from a fallen world. John puts it this way in 1 John 3, 13. He says, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. And I believe that that is the root of a lot of our anger. Our assumptions and our expectations are the world should love us. We should be treated fairly and equally. John says, oh, no, 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 no. 
Don't be surprised. Don't be angered by this. This is the natural order of things. Don't be surprised when the world hates you. You're a sheep, and they're wolves. When we actually have the right assumptions about who we are and who the world is around us, it actually helps us to alleviate our anger. We expect the world to value what we value and love what we love and hate what we hate and believe what we believe and hold the convictions that we hold, but they won't. They never will. And I think that many of us are expecting more from the world than we're willing to do ourselves. We're actually expecting the wolves to behave better than we are willing to behave. To live well in a way that we're not willing to live. Many of us in this room have a deep conviction that life is sacred. And yet we're not willing to foster and adopt children. Some of us, some of us have a, a deep conviction that the environment is, is an incredible thing that we got to protect it. If you ain't walking to work, you're not even taking the bus. We want the world to be a certain way, and yet we won't live the way that we want the world to be. We have too high an expectation on a broken world. What do we do with all of this? How do we respond? How do we as Christians live wise as serpents and innocent as doves? There's a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer that you've heard me. If you've been around Flourishing Grace, you've heard me say this quote um, maybe 50 times. So many times. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was, uh, was, was a pastor and a theologian in Nazi-occupied Germany. And kind of towards the end, he, he comes to the place where he realizes, man, this gets no better unless somebody unless good men step up we cannot expect the world to respond in the right way it's not going to happen and so christians must take action and so dietrich bonhoeffer and two of his best friends get together and they develop an assassination plot on adolf hitler and on christmas eve bonhoeffer who is a pacifist writes this essay and he rolls it up he gives it to these two friends he says, man, this, this is all of my thoughts on how have we gotten here and how can we justify this action. And in it, there's this line that I've quoted so many times. He says, the man who despises another will never make anything of him. You never make anything of him. Nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. I've said that so many times. But I want to, what I want to do this morning is actually give you a little bit of a greater context to that quote. He, here's, here's the larger context. Now remember, this is Bonhoeffer speaking about Nazi-occupied Germany. Here's what he says. There is a very real danger of our drifting into an attitude of contempt for humanity. We know quite well that we have no right to do so. In that it would lead us into the most sterile relation to our fellow man. The following thoughts may keep us from such a temptation. It means that we at once fall into the worst blunders of our opponents. The wolves are going to kill us if we fall into the contempt for our fellow man. The man who despises another will never be able to make anything of him. 
Nothing that we despise in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. We often expect from others more than we are willing to do ourselves. Why have we hitherto, though, so intemperately, right, without, without thought or without reason, about man and his frailty and temptability? Why have we expected more from the world than we should? We must learn to regard people less in the light of what they do or omit to do and more in light of what they suffer. Listen to this, church. Listen. The only profitable relationship to others, and especially to our weaker brethren, is one of love. And that means the will to hold fellowship with them. God himself did not despise humanity, but became a man for man's sake. The only profitable response. I want you for a moment to think about this. As we talk about wisdom and innocence, this is it. Bonhoeffer looks at Nazi-occupied Germany. This is not, right? This is, this is millions of Jews being killed. This is a dictator that wants to take over the entire world and wipe out every other race and just create one singular race and is killing millions in order to get there. And Bonhoeffer says the only profitable response to the people who have sided with him, the people who have voted for him, the people who are cheering for him, the only actual profitable response is love. Why? Because the man who despises another will never make anything of him. If you live in this camp and you hate the world around you and you rage against the world around you and you rant on social media and you like the rants on social media, it will not profit anyone. There's nothing to be gained there. You're not going to change anybody because the man who despises another won't make anything of him. You're not going to fix anything. You're not going to advance anything. You're not going to win. The wolves are going to kill you. Wisdom says the profitable response, the only profitable response is love. And that means we invite them in and we care for them and we meet them where they are and we engage in their lives and we get to know them and we love them. And funny enough, this is exactly what the Bible tells us to do. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, says this, You've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. The only profitable response, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We must be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Love is the only profitable response. Romans 12, 14 through 21, Paul says, Blessed are those who blessed, bless those who persecute you. Bless them and do not curse them. Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not become over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You will not overcome the evil with the world of the world with evil. You're not going to overcome the wolf with wolf-like behavior. You overcome the wolf with the love of doves and the wisdom of serpents. How foolish we are to think that we can win against a wolf. How foolish we are to think that we're equal to the wolf. We overcome the wolf with love. And yes, many will get killed along the way by the wolf. This is the reality. But when Jesus, when God looks at the world so broken, so ravaged by sin, and his anger is kindled against that sin, his wrath is kindled against that sin, right, justly. That quote by Bonhoeffer, right, Bonhoeffer says, um, nothing that we desire in the other man is entirely absent from ourselves. That was not true with God. Everything that he despised in the world was entirely absent from him. There was no sin in him. There was no brokenness in him. There was no darkness in him. There, there's, there's nothing. Everything he despised in the world was completely absent from himself. He had every right to be angry. He had every right to pour out his wrath. He had every right. But in his infinite wisdom, our infinitely wise God knew the only profitable response. And so God so loved the world, he gave his only son to become a sheep, a perfect sacrificial lamb that would die in your place and mine and bleed the ground red to cover you by his blood. And the good news, friends, is that we, the sheep, have the infinitely good shepherd. And so as I said last week, we have no reason to fear. And we have no need to be angry. Vengeance is his. He'll repay. He'll repay justly. We cannot repay justly. I'll leave you with this. John 16, 33. Jesus says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We have a good shepherd. We can trust him. We can rest in him. We can lay our anger at the foot of the cross, knowing that he is greater than all of that. And we can love a broken world because Jesus, our king, has loved a broken world. Jesus has overcome the world. You don't have to be angry anymore. The victory belongs to Christ. You are free to love and not hate, to embrace the outcast. Your anger, unlike the rest of the world's, can be slow because you know vengeance belongs to the world. So how do we become slow to anger? I think for many of us in this room, I, I know that this for you, this, this is like your, this is your thing. Like you live here. 
you've just, for the past few years, you've just been so angry. I want to challenge you this morning to delete, not turn off, not put away your phone, delete your social media. Turn off the news, not, not to bury your head in the sand, but just realizing that this is creating sin in me. This is creating a behavior that's weakening me. This is creating a behavior that's causing me to be vulnerable to the wolves around me. Delete it. And turn it off. And replace your social media with your Bible. And replace the news with prayer for your enemies. I believe that if we pray for our enemies, there can be no anger in our hearts towards them. The only profitable response is love. Let us follow the example of our king and let's love a world that is, that is completely broken by sin and wants to destroy us. Let us love them. Let's do this. Let's bow our heads. And I want just for a minute, I, I want to give you a second to think. I asked the question last week, man, what, what is the cultural topic that has got you the most concerned, maybe the most fearful, maybe the most angry? What's the topic? And who stands on the other side of that line? Is it, is it abortion? Is it transgender? Is it radical conservatism? What, 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 is, what is it that makes you frustrated? Who stands on the other side of that line? I want to give you a minute to just pray for them. To lift them up. To ask God to increase your love for them. To ask God to give you opportunities to invite them in. To show us that wisdom says the only profitable response is love. fast in this place that our anger has increased without us even realizing it, without us even knowing it. That we are guilty of being angry at the world around us. We've failed to see things the way that you've taught us to see them. We've begun to see them in the way that the world sees them. And it's created in us, it's kindled in us anger. Would you open our eyes to see the world the way that you've taught us to see it? Would you, would you help us to be slow to anger? Would you increase our wisdom and our innocence? And in wisdom, might we see that the only profitable response is love. And so let us be a people who choose the way of the sheep. Not to become fierce like wolves, but to live as good and faithful sheep, to choose to suffer, to choose to die for the sake of your kingdom. We love you. Praise the King in your sweet name. Amen. Friends, let's stand. We're going to sing one last song together as we go.